Well, church, I'm going to cut right to the chase. I'm preaching about racism today. I'm just, I'm just saying, right, right from the get-go, okay? Um, as your pastor, I'm always grateful to you all for trusting me to proclaim the good news of, of Jesus each and every week. And each and every week, I try with the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to proclaim a word that is both encouraging and challenging that we might be transformed uh, by God. I firmly believe that there is no more important issue right now in which we need to be transformed and to be agents of God's transformation than the issue of racism. This is not easy. There is a part of me that's very reluctant to preach this message, which is precisely why I need to preach it. Um, Because the gospel of Jesus Christ compels me to do so. Compels me to do so. And so I need your help this morning. I need us to listen with soft hearts and minds. I need us to listen without immediately putting up our defenses. I need us to trust in the power of God's love and forgiveness, the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. I need us to hold on to our identity as a follower of Jesus as more determinative, as more influential than American, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. I'm asking for your grace this morning because I'm not going to get everything right. But please know this is not about producing guilt. This is about the gospel speaking to racism. Let's just go ahead and define that word right now. By racism, we mean collective prejudice plus social and institutional power. Collective prejudice plus social and institutional power. In other words, a system of advantage or oppression based upon race. So, so my earnest hope and prayer is that this is about proclaiming the power of the gospel to bring about conversion and healing at each and every level that racism exists and about who we are called to be as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that we'll find a way to take root there, to grow us, to change us, so that we might bear fruit for you, your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture uh, lessons this morning um, come, both come from Mark's gospel, and they're two stories of Jesus healing blind men. The first is from uh, Mark chapter 8, um, beginning in the 22nd verse. So I invite you to, to hear God's word. Uh, you can follow along on the screen as well. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village. After spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees, only they are walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. He looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored and he could see everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. And then from Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. 
Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have, show me mercy. Many scolded him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called the blind man. Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, Go, your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus is in the business of healing people. It's what he did with the two men who were blind. In one story, a, a, a group of folks bring the blind man to Jesus and Jesus uh, Something that makes spit and, and, and dirt, mud, and heals him. And the other story, of a man cries out from the side of the road for Jesus to, to heal him because he, he, he had heard of Jesus, he trusted that Jesus could heal him, and Jesus does. Jesus has that power, and Jesus is that good. Jesus is in the business of healing. Now we need to stop right there. We need to stop right there and ask ourselves before pressing on, if we believe that that is true of Jesus? Do we believe that Jesus has the power to heal us of our sins? Those sins we carry as individuals, as a society, as a church, as a nation? Is Jesus and his power to heal greater than the sin of racism? I hope so. I hope so, otherwise we'll, we'll be laden with guilt. Or think that we can fix things under our own power. If, if Jim Wallace is right when he said that racism is America's original sin, then we must, like any sin, see it in light of what God does with sin and sinners. We need to, to hope and take heart that when we, uh, when we cry out, Jesus, show us mercy, he comes to us and is merciful to us. Our healing depends on, on facing together our past and present realities with hope and not guilt. With hope, not guilt. We stake everything, I think, we stake everything on the hope on the fact that a brown-skinned Jew named Jesus, who was executed on a cross by government and religious leaders, died and then was resurrected from the dead. That Jesus defeated sin and made it possible for all people, all people, to experience forgiveness and healing of sin. There is no sin from which Jesus cannot heal us, including racism. So let's start right there. Jesus is in the business of healing people, and at, uh, and at the center of Mark's gospel, Jesus' message is framed by two stories about blind men receiving their sight. And everything around those stories, and go look when you're at home, 
everything around those stories also has to do with seeing or not seeing rightly. Just before Jesus' spit and dirt healing, that's my nickname for the first one. Just before Jesus' spit and dirt healing, he's frustrated with the Pharisees because they're asking him for a sign from heaven. Right? All the while failing to see the present salvation that's right in front of them. And then the disciples failed to see what Jesus was up to when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes to the point that Jesus actually says to them, don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? In between the the two healings, this is when the rich young ruler fails to see his money and possessions as an idol preventing total allegiance to God and God's kingdom. So there is a connection between the gospel of Jesus and seeing rightly. A connection between the gospel of Jesus and seeing rightly. We might say then that sin is a kind of blindness. Sin is a kind of blindness, a failure to see. Think back to the garden when Adam and Eve, they fail to see the goodness of God and a life in communion with God at the center and instead believe the promise of a lie. The most basic definition of sin that we have is missing the mark. Missing the mark, which happens when we can't see well. Racism as a sin is like that. It is a failure to rightly see. We can cover it up, we can pretend like it's not there, but then it rears its ugly head and we're forced to acknowledge its existence. Racism, like any sin, loves to conceal itself. And so the idea that that racism is only a problem because a few people insist on talking about it is ridiculous. It's It's absurd as someone saying that sexism would be solved if nobody ever mentioned it. It has to be unmasked to be dealt with. If sin is a kind of blindness and racism is a kind of sin, then we need Jesus to help us see. We are the blind men on the side of the road, not physically blind, but blinded by racism, and we need Jesus to heal us. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked, Jesus, help us see. We need Jesus to help us see racism at its many different levels. Racism is not simply someone calling a black person the N-word. It's not just events like Charlottesville or the recent KKK rally in Hillsboro or the El Paso shooting. It's the prejudice we have and don't realize. It's the systematic injustice based upon race that permeates every part of our culture and institutions. In the first story of Jesus healing the blind man, when Jesus first touches the man's eyes and asks him if he can see, the man says that he sees people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, he can only partially see. That's how it is with with some of us. We may have experienced God's transformative grace so that we don't uh, call someone the N-word. We may even even have black friends 
We may lament the KKK, but if that's it, then we're still only partially seeing. Scholar Marilyn Fry uses the uh, illustration of a birdcage. If you stand close to it and and you press your face against the wires, your perception of the wires will disappear and you'll have a clear view of the bird. If you turn to examine one wire of the cage closely, you won't be able to see the other wires. If your understanding of the cage is based on those views, then you'll wonder, why doesn't the bird just fly away? But if you step back and took a wider view, you would see that the wires come together in an interlocking pattern to hold the bird in place. Racism is hard to see because we have such a limited view. We see just one wire, we see one singular incident and fail to see all of the factors interlocking together. The facts are, the median white household is 13 times wealthier than the median black household, 10 times wealthier than the median Latino household. The gap between white and black education, income, mortality rates is as wide today as it was 40 years ago. If you look into a hospital and see a black infant and a white infant, you can predict which baby will die first, which one will make a higher income, which will have a better education simply by the color of their skin. Black students are three times more likely to be suspended than white students, even when their infractions are the same. Black drivers are 30% more likely than whites to be pulled over by the police. Blacks make up 13% of the population, but represent 40% of the prison population. When black people are convicted, they're 20% more likely to be sentenced to jail time and typically see sentences 20% longer than those for whites convicted of the same crime. Job applicants with white-sounding names get called back about 50% more of the time than applicants with black-sounding names, even with identical resumes. Racism is a system, not an event. A system of advantage or oppression based on race. I remember how angry I was, as I'm sure many of you were, when I saw images of the KKK rallying in Hillsborough in 2019. I was angry when, I, when, I, when, when the El Paso shooting happened and the xenophobic manifesto. I remember how shocked I was when I learned that Rollsville, right here where we have church in our community, had the largest slave market between Richmond and New Orleans and is the site of the only recorded lynching in Wake County. I can see that racism. But then I remembered my own reaction Then I remember my own reaction when we moved to Rollsville and I was surprised at how many families of color lived in my neighborhood. Why was I so surprised at that? Or how when Lauren and I went on a date in Durham and how I remember instinctively putting up more defenses when walking past a black man than a white man. I'm confessing that. I'm not proud of that at all. I need Jesus to heal my eyes. It's not just the KKK. There is racism buried in me and in systems and institutions, and we need Jesus to heal it all. 
We also need Jesus to help us see our black and brown brothers and sisters. Sociologist Robin D'Angelo tells a story of leading a workshop on racism with an African-American colleague, and a, a white participant, a participant said to him, I don't see race, I don't see you as black. To which the African-American co-trainer responded, then how will you see racism? I'm black and my race means that I have very different experiences in my life than you have. In other words, if we're going to see, if we're going to understand, if we're going to actually, if we're gonna actually uh, challenge racism, pretending that we don't notice color is not helpful. Color blindness is still blindness. It's just an excuse not to see what it is to be a person of color and the real differences that come with that. I was getting lunch a couple weeks ago with several pastors from Roseville, one of whom was an African-American pastor, and he was openly sharing with us um, his experience, some of his experiences of being black in the United States. He talked about serving in Vietnam and then coming home to a segregated and discriminatory VA health system. He talked about walking into a diner with his uniform on and being told, we don't serve your kind here of being coached by his grandmother as a little boy not to play with little white girls. Of his son being stopped, even now, for no reason, by a police officer. We need Jesus to help us see people of color and their experiences. White people also need Jesus to help us see our whiteness, and the privilege that comes with it. Whiteness rests upon the definition of whites as the norm for human, and everything else is a deviation from that. Whiteness is not really acknowledged by white people, and the white reference point is assumed to be universal and neutral. I'm a white American male raised in the United States. I have a white frame of reference, but I was not taught to see myself in racial terms. I'm conditioned to not think about whiteness as something that could actually have an impact on my life. But being white carries with it a social status and identity filled with all kinds of legal and political and economic and social privileges that are denied to others. U.S. Congress is 90% white. The 10 richest Americans are 100% white. U.S. governors are 96% white. People who decide what TV shows go on TV, 93% white. Teachers are 82% white, and so on. These are not minor institutions and organizations. As white, I was born into a culture where I racially belonged. From the TV that I watched to the magazines I read to the history books I read. I don't have to be worried about being racially profiled by a police officer. I get the benefit of the doubt that I belong in almost every space or setting. I don't carry the psychological weight of potentially being seen as racially inferior. Whether I use checks or credit cards or cash, I can count on my skin color not to to work against the appearance of financial responsibility. I don't have to educate my children to be aware of systemic racism for for their own daily physical protection. As a white person, I can proudly reminisce about the good old days. All of this is not an accident. All this is not a fluke. 
we're just blind to it because we're white. And if you're white like me, it's not something that we, we chose, and we don't have to be ashamed or apologize for the color of our skin. God has made all people wonderfully and beautifully in God's own image, right? We don't have to apologize for the color of our skin. We do, however, need Jesus to help us see our whiteness and everything that comes with it. It is not neutral. It actually positions us to be able to work for change in important ways if we see it. We need Jesus to help us see If sin is a kind of blindness and racism is a kind of sin, then we need Jesus to help us see. Honest encounter with Jesus enables us to tell the truth about ourselves. Our God is a God who saves and a God who heals. That means we're a people in need of salvation and healing, including from racism. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has the power of forgiveness and the strength of grace to heal us as individuals and as a society. We might be blind or partially seeing, but we worship a Savior who can open the eyes of the blind. How then shall we be healed? Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus from the side of the road. Because he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there and that meant something to him. It meant that that he would be healed. We cry out to Jesus in our blindness because we've heard about Jesus and hopefully that means something to us too. We might be healed. Jesus, show me mercy, he cries, we cry. And Jesus invites him and invites us to, to come forward with our blindness And be healed. Bartimaeus jumps up and throws his coat to the side. I wonder what we need to throw to the side. Jesus asks him and us, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Teacher, I want to see, says Bartimaeus. Do we want to see too? Do we want to see? Jesus is able and Jesus is willing to heal and still does when we cry out for mercy. Jesus, we want to be healed of racism. In the other story, It's actually a group of people who bring the blind man to Jesus and beg Jesus to heal him. I wonder if part of our healing comes, I wonder if part of our healing comes when we allow our black and brown brothers and sisters to be the ones who carry us to Jesus for healing. To bring us closer to Jesus by listening to them, learning their stories and experiences. And we might just find that we start to see better because of Jesus working through them. I mean, is there a greater miracle or testament to the power of the gospel in the last 300 years than the fact that people who were enslaved and oppressed on the basis of their race and were presented a faith that reinforced that subjugation somehow still managed to come to believe in a God who saves and who liberates. 
I mean, talk about healing and hope. So we white people need people of color to help us experience the healing of, and hope of Jesus in ways that only they can help us to see. We white people have got to love our black and brown sisters and brothers enough to listen and to grow. Black and brown people have to love their white brothers and sisters enough to be patient, to teach, and to carry us to Jesus. Well, I told you it was going to be a sermon on racism. And therefore also necessarily a sermon about Jesus Christ. about the gospel that confronts racism because Jesus' in death and resurrection breaks down every kind of barrier that separates. Because Jesus heals people blinded by sin. We talk about racism in the confidence that God actually wants us to succeed at this, to participate in God's transforming work, to be a part of God's healing, to be a part of God's work to liberate those who are oppressed by the sin and injustice of racism. Seeing is only the beginning. Seeing is only the beginning. Being healed of our blindness is just the beginning. You, you know what happens? You know what happens when Jesus heals Bartimaeus? At once he is able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. He began to follow Jesus on the way. When it comes to racism, we know the way that Jesus is going. The question is, will we follow that way too? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.